Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them. But they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, What are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? What things? About Jesus of Nazareth. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found out it was just as the women had said, but they did not see Jesus. He said to them, How foolish you are, and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going farther, but they urged him strongly. Stay with us, for it is nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at table with them, he took the bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him. And he disappeared from their sight. And they asked each other, Were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven and those with them assembled together and saying, It is true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. He is risen. This call response, he is risen, he is risen indeed, it comes from the scripture you just heard, Luke chapter 24. If you brought your Bible or if you have it on an app or whatever, you can look it up. Luke chapter 24 is where we're at today. When Luke records this story in chapter 24, the story of the two disciples who just encountered the risen Jesus as they ran back to Jerusalem... Find the eleven shell-shocked disciples who report Simon Peter has just encountered Jesus. They all say together, they're hiding, the eleven plus the two. They all say, he is risen indeed. It's true. 
It's really, really true. They've seen him. And so this morning we have to ask what I consider the most obvious question for Easter. The most, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> yeah. the most obvious question for Easter morning is this. What does Easter require of us? Jesus is risen. What do we do? What do we do? Now, if there's one massive exclamation point for Easter morning, it's this. Jesus has risen from the dead. Jesus laid down his life, and he took up his own life. John chapter 10, verse 18. He took up his own life. Encircling the globe, right now, these 24 hours, millions and billions of human beings are celebrating the death of death with Jesus. This is the core Christian hope. Amen? Hallelujah. So what does Easter require of us? It's the most obvious question. What's interesting to me this fine Easter day is what Christians these days have done with this Easter hope. I find it rather amazing. I fear, I fear that we have reduced Easter. We have turned Easter into nothing more than a promise for eternal life. Nothing more than just a get-out-of-hell-free card that you carry in your wallet that says, oh, good, thanks, Jesus, now i got eternal life. I can just go back to living my life however I want to. Why this is such a terrible thing is because all world religions, all local religions, and even atheism believes in life after death for the most part. It's only a very small percentage of the world that actually believes, like Bertrand Russell said, when you die, you rot. Everyone believes in life after death. There's nothing astounding about Easter about having life after death. But I'm afraid that Christianity's turned it into that. Also, not one of the four gospel writers end their gospel with anything about the resurrection of Jesus, meaning that we all now have a guarantee of eternal life. That is not the point of the four gospels when they end their gospel. I'll give it to you right here. Matthew. All authority, Jesus says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. Mark, the gospel of Mark. So then the Lord Jesus, after he spoke with them, spoke to them, was taken up into heaven and sat at the right hand of God. And they went out, they went out and proclaimed the good news everywhere. Luke, thus it's written that the Messiah is to suffer and to rise from the dead on the third day. And that repentance and forgiveness of sins is to be proclaimed. In his name to all nations, beginning in Jerusalem. You're witnesses of these things. And see, I am sending upon you what my Father promised, which is the Holy Spirit. John, even John, not like the other three Gospels. Jesus said to him, if it's my will that he remains until I come, what is that to you? Follow me. So the rumor sped that in the community that, the disciples would not, that this, this disciple would not die. And yet Jesus did not say to him that he would not die, but that... If it is my will that he remains until I come, what is that to you? Matthew, go make disciples. Mark, they went out and proclaimed the good news. Luke, I'm sending you. And John, what if it remains until I come? I come. That's the main thing. What's the good news? That Jesus rose from the dead? Yes, yes, that's the good news. Jesus rose from the dead. That all of us have eternal life? No, true as eternal life may be, true that we all have the guarantee of a true life, that is not what the gospel writers thought was the good news. 
all four validate Jesus' claims. Claims that he's the Savior, the King, the Messiah. Claims that he can forgive sins. Claims that he's coming again. Claims that they're a redemption. Death is dead. They all arrive at this one thing of what the good news is. You should go out and preach the new kingdom. Teach everything that Jesus, Jesus taught. Go and make disciples. You have a mission in life to do. Go and get on with it. Don't just sit around thinking, oh, great, Jesus, thanks for the eternal life gift. I got that. We have work to do, everyone, because of Easter. Work to do. This should not be a surprise to us. Not one iota should it be a surprise because Jesus all throughout all four Gospels said, as you go, proclaim the good news. The kingdom of heaven has come near. The kingdom of heaven is now in your hand. It's in close proximity to you. It is right here. Heaven is opened up and I am standing in front of you, Jesus is saying. The resurrection of Jesus validates all of Jesus' claims. And so, what does Easter require of us? Well, it looks like this, the Emmaus Road, the scripture that we just read out of Luke chapter 24. This is what Easter looks like. Two disciples of Jesus are walking home on Sunday afternoon. It's the first day of the week. A stranger joins them on the road. The disciples tell him how everyone believed the kingdom of God was going to come through this person named Jesus of Nazareth, a prophet, mighty in deed and word. He was going to redeem Israel. Note to self, the disciples, in their conversation with Jesus there on the road, did not have the expectation that the entire mission of Jesus was to give you eternal life. Now, on the road, Jesus listens and listens and listens and listens, and they keep walking, and Jesus keeps listening to their story. How polite he is. Finally, the disciples say, then some say that he rose from the dead. Now, obviously, Cleopas, the two disciples, Cleopas, and some scholars think the other one was his wife. Obviously, the two disciples do not believe that Jesus rose from the dead because they're on their way home. They're leaving Jerusalem. If if they believe Jesus rose from the dead, they'd be back in Jerusalem waiting for him to show up or go looking for him. They think it's over. Jesus is dead. What happened? And after listening and listening and listening, Jesus now speaks, and he says this. He says, how foolish How foolish you are. How slow of heart you are. It was all right there in front of your eyes. The prophets and Moses had already explained everything. What you live and breathe and eat as Hebrews, as Jews, it was all right there. I'm amazed you can't make sense of it. That somehow you would trade it out, what the Messiah was supposed to be. Not much like what we've done these days in trading out Easter for just a guarantee of eternal life. They had made a mistake as well. The Messiah was going to first suffer and then enter his glory. Long conversation. The two disciples begin to connect the dots. Oh, (laughs) we get it. The Messiah is going to suffer. You mean on a cross. Die like a criminal at the hands of the people with some pagan empire with their boot on our neck. Oh, oh, I get it. And, and that the Messiah was going to enter into glory. We, we thought it was going to be an empire. 
okay, all right. But, but Jesus is still dead, the two disciples say. Hey, hey, they say. Hey, smart, engaging, brilliant, intriguing, mysterious stranger. It's getting dark. Why don't you come eat with us? Come to our place and eat with us. Because <clears throat> first century Palestine, you don't want to be out on the road after dark. Highway robbers and all that sort of thing. Maybe the two disciples are thinking, like, we can keep this conversation going because we got to put something together. That help us make sense of the scriptures. Help us make sense of our entire culture. Help us make sense of what's been going on because Jesus is dead and gone. At least we can have some hope and maybe someday the real Messiah will come. And so they eat together. Now, here's an interesting biblical historical fact, a bit of background, a little twist that goes on. Usually, the homeowner, who's the host, breaks the bread. But, which makes sense to us, like, yeah, if everybody's coming over to your house at noon or this afternoon for Easter meal, then, yeah, you're the host and you're doing all the work. You're, so to speak, breaking the bread, which really means cleaning up and doing all the dishes and cooking everything. But in this particular case, this strange thing happens where the stranger, Jesus, just takes over as the commanding presence in somebody else's house, acts as the host, picks up the bread, blesses it, and then breaks it and hands it to them. And poof, he vanishes in front of their eyes. That's probably not going to happen at your afternoon meal, even though weird Uncle Harold, you may wish he's gone. (laughs) But suddenly, both of them recognize the stranger as Jesus. And now before we move another inch, we need this cultural background. Here's the little thing. You see, in first century Palestine, the host, this is very important to get this down. It's critical to understanding many things that go on in the New Testament. The host does not do this like we do, uh, germaphobes do, where you hand the plate to everyone and they take their own. The beginning of the meal, because oftentimes things were eaten with bread, not like this, flatbread. The host, they'd wash their hands. They do have their germaphobe thing. They'd wash their hands. They take the bread. They break it. They tear off a piece, the host does, and they hand it to each person at the table. It's a ritual. It's a part of their culture. It's very important. What's going on in the background? What's happening? The host is saying, my table is your table. My house is your house. Mi casa, su casa. I am giving a part of you, a part of me, to you. You see, the rabbis at the time, the rabbis at the time would warn people, saying, do not eat with a Gentile. Do not eat with a sinner. Do not eat with a tax collector or, or a prostitute or anybody else who has defiled themselves. If you eat with that person, if you eat with them, They are a part of you. They belong to your table. The table is the mikdash miat, my little sanctuary, as it says in Hebrew. That little sanctuary means you are now in fellowship and you are bound together with the other person. You belong to them. Understand that important cultural thing and this story and several other stories in the New Testament begin to make more sense. This explains why Jesus in the upper room, which we celebrated at Monday Thursday, this is why Jesus in the upper room the night before his arrest 
and betrayal and crucifixion. This is why he broke the bread and handed it to the disciples. He is saying, you belong to me. I am giving you this bread. I didn't just pass you a plate. Very important. This is why Jesus, when he broke the bread at the Sermon on the Mount, at the feeding of the 5,000 out in the countryside, this is why, and don't miss this small detail, he broke the bread, it multiplied, the fish and loaves, and he handed it not to the people, but to his disciples, right? He is saying to all 12 disciples, you are my agents, you are my representatives, you are my disciples, you are now apostles, you are the ones who are going to take me, the bread of life, and give it to other people. I commission you. You have a mission to do now. Get that detail? The mission is, go make disciples. Now, back to the two, disi- two disciples at the table with Jesus. In the breaking and the placing of the bread in their hands, suddenly their eyes are opened. Were not our hearts burning within us? Now every single detail is clear. 1,400 years of history. Moses, the manna in the desert, the prophets, 700 years prior is Isaiah declaring that out of the stump of Jesse, the cut-off stump, the people have been cut off, they've been sent out in exile, out of the stump of Jesse, David, King David's father, that's the lineage, Jesse, David, you know, Solomon, on down the line. Out of that stump, Isaiah declares, will grow the Messiah, a whole new tree of life, of a nation. And Isaiah says, the spirit of the Lord shall rest on him. His delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. With righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. The wolf shall, lie with the lamb, shall live with the lamb. Do you hear the timber of the language? Justice, everyone, will come upon the earth. Peace will come upon the earth. Because of this, because of the Messiah, we will now have a just world and a peaceful world if, if you receive the bread and go and be Jesus to other people. This is your mission. This is the good news. Not just simply that we have eternal life, but that you, you and I, brothers and sisters, are agents of peace and justice and love and reconciliation and forgiveness in the world. You have a job to do. So much more than just eternal life. (laughs) What does Easter require of us? That each of us make a journey. It is an Emmaus Road journey. This is the spiritual part of the morning. It is a spiritual journey of the heart and the soul and life. And first you have to realize that you are already on a journey. Life is a journey, isn't it? It's a spiritual journey. Sometimes it's a really boring journey. Most of the time, you just get up every day and you go on the journey. You don't even know you're on a journey. And the very first thing you have to understand is that you're on this journey, and so if you're feeling dejected or defeated or just sort of blah, or like you're just going through the motions, you have to realize that Jesus is with you on this journey. He may be a stranger to you right now, even for those of you who don't even believe in Christianity. Right now, still, Jesus is a stranger on your journey. For your relatives and so forth, you say, like, man, those people are like far away from God. They are like total godless pagan people, man. Jesus is with them on their journey. They don't know it, but he's right there. 
The first rule of any journey, any forest ranger will tell you this. Any conservation agent will tell you this. Like, hey, you're not going to those woods by yourself, are you? Because, you know, you're just going to be another vulture meal if things go bad. The first rule of any journey is always take others with you. Two disciples on the road, the stranger Jesus joins them. Somebody has to listen to your questions in life. Don't do church alone. Don't do life alone. Sometimes it's a mysterious stranger that comes into your life, and we have to have them on our journey as well. Another voice, a voice from elsewhere, as the prophets would call it, comes into your life. And they will listen. They'll listen to you, you, and you will listen to them. Friends for the journey, everyone. It's the first rule of the Emmaus Road journey. You've got to have friends for the journey. Because otherwise you could end up just living an, a, a boring, non-meaning animal life where all you do is get up every day and try and figure out how to entertain yourself for another 24 hours. That is not living. That's just existing. And it's a terrible way to live. Complete the sentence. Life is all about... Dot, dot, dot. Life is all about... What is life all about? At the breakfast table, in the morning, no one's there. It's just you. And you think, am I going to do this again? Am I going to go through these motions again? You see, some of you, you just say, life is all about changing the next diaper. Duh. Life is all about, I got to go see the doctor Thursday, and I don't think it's going to be good. Life is all about, I get in the car, I turn on sports radio, I hear the same blah, blah, blah. That's not living, folks. That's not life, and that's sure not eternal life, and that is not a mission. Life is a beautiful temple, a safe sanctuary, a gathering of belongers. On the Emmaus Road, you and I are going to have to die to our dream wish. There's... (laughs) I don't know how many times and how many years I'll say this. I'm not going to stop. Transformation, spiritual transformation, never, ever happens without a death inside of you. I don't mean literal death. Let's hope that's far away. Spiritual transformation never happens without a death inside of you. On the road to Emmaus, Cleopas and the other disciple had to die to their idea of what the Messiah was going to be a new King David, somebody who was going to kick the Roman Empire's hiney off of their back. They had to die to their dream. And every one of us, for spiritual transformation to take place, you will have to die to your current image of God. I kid you not. Understand this, and I will repeat it. The God you imagine right now will never change you. The God you imagine right now will never change you. Only a God that you cannot imagine or expect or predict or put into a box will change your life. Only an unbidden God from outside of you will change you. Otherwise, we keep God shackled. We stay stuck in our old dream. Nothing dies inside of us. No transformation takes place, and we just go on with life as it was. One day after another. 
What we learn on the Emmaus Road is that something had to die. Cleopas and the other disciple and the other 11 that were left, and who knows how many more, none of them expected Jesus to rise from the dead. That dream, that understanding of reality died. And they all radically changed. Do not forget that just simply 72 hours earlier, Peter was denying that Jesus was even an acquaintance. (laughs) And history goes on to show that Peter, the head of the church, the apostle Peter, goes on in order to not disgrace the cross of Jesus, asks to be crucified at his martyrdom upside down. A terrible way to die. At least crucifixion is quick because you suffocate. Hanging upside down? Hemorrhage. Something has to die. The last thing you need on the journey that we see in this Emmaus Road journey is that you need some bread. You need some bread for the journey. You need some bread. What kind of bread do you need? You need the, light, the bread of life. You need this bread that's handed, that's put into your hand, that, that someone, Jesus, takes and puts into your hand and says this, take it, eat it. This is my body which has been given for you. Some bread, everyone, to be submitted to Jesus, seated at the table, ready to receive from the, from the king. Trusting the stranger God who came upon you, unexpected, your dreams now totally being rewritten. You give up being boss of your life. You open your hands and you receive the bread of life. Bread for the journey, everyone. It needs some bread. The result is a passionate, burning heart life. A life that compels you, that says, I know why I'm getting up today. Today is about being the best Jesus I could ever be to everybody around me. How I drive, how I live, how I eat, how I work, how I do everything. Every checkout line I'm in, every restaurant I'm in, I am the hands and the face and the eyes and the mouth and the words and the ears of Jesus Christ. You have a mission in life to do. That's what Easter says. If you cannot receive this bread, then you slowly become spiritually dead. And as Jesus phrased it, do not fear those who can kill your body. Fear the one who has authority to cast you into hell. <laughs> Fear spiritual death. The resurrection just, sh- just shows that death is defeated. Now let's start some serious living. That's what Easter is all about. That's what Easter requires of us. Get some friends. Get ready because your wish dream is going to have to die. Get some bread from Jesus. And you will feel more alive than you've ever felt in years. Every day is a small amount of Easter where you are remade and you say to yourself each and every day, I know why I'm here. It's not easy, but I know why I'm here. And I will go forth in the name of Christ this day So here's what I want you to do, just to make it simple. Today, as soon as possible, whenever you can, get together with other people and have a grand feast. Throw a party. Have some fun. It might be at Culver's. It might be the whole, you know, ham, green bean thing, the 
brown and serve rolls, food that you would never eat any other day of the year, but you're going to eat it today. For some odd reason, we eat weird food on this day. Grandma told us to, we're eating it, shut up, that's the way it is. A lot of you right now are like, yeah, let's go chuck the ham in the trash and go get a pizza and call it good. Um, but have a feast today. Break bread together and enjoy yourselves. Live life at its fullest today. And then do this one weird thing. You're at the family gathering, right? You got friends over. Do this one weird thing. <laughs> Take the bread, those brown serve rolls, and tear it in half and hand it to people by you. They'll be looking at you like, why did you just touch my bread? Well, butter it for them or something like that. And you don't have to make some big, you know, theological preachy thingy. Just hand them the bread and say, yeah, I know. Give them life and enjoy every second of it. Enjoy the life you have and wake up tomorrow and find Jesus. Find Jesus in every normal moment of the day. Strive after this. Work at it. Rearrange your schedule. Find new habits. Stop old habits. It's that important. It's cataclysmic. It's life-changing. It's Easter. And that's what we're supposed to do with Easter. Not just sit around and say like, well, got eternal life. We already knew that. What Easter does is commissions you to go out and share Jesus with everyone. That's the good news. Be the best Jesus you can do. Break bread and have a feast and enjoy every moment. It's not as bad as you think. It's not as bad as you think. See, everyone, on the night when Jesus was betrayed, he took a loaf of bread, and when he'd given thanks, he broke it, and he said, this is my body for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Doesn't that make more sense when he says, do this in remembrance of me, that he's saying, like, take this bread, you are now my agent. Go and be me. In remembrance of me means you have been given a job to do, not just some sort of intellectual thought. And in the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Own the life that I give you. The, the life is in the blood. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. And now if you'd be so kind as to stand and let us pray as Jesus taught us to pray with all sorts of rich meaning about that thing where it says, and give us today our daily bread. Join me, everyone. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And save us from the time of trial and deliver us from evil. For the kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours now and forever. Amen. And then, everyone, we proclaim the mystery of faith. Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. Christ, our Passover, is sacrificed for us. Therefore, let us keep the feast. Alleluia. The gifts of God for the people of God. Each day, may Jesus Christ be as real to you as this food and drink. Lord, you have fed us with spiritual food. 
and now in your presence and this Easter day in the glory of the resurrection, the hope of eternal life, and the mission and the road that is before us, God, you will send us out. May we be everything that we are supposed to be, be Jesus to others. Call us, God. Have us strive after you. In the name of Christ, and we all said, amen. I believe in Easter. I belong to that cross, and I, I adore it. So let's end with these words, everyone, all together. Now, to him who is able to do immeasurably more than we, all, we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Alleluia. Christ is risen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Go in peace.